Uh, as we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, um, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, again, we come before your word and we're amazed and grateful that you've granted to us in this way uh, your word that we may have it before us and read it and meditate upon it and from it receive grace upon grace. Not only your wisdom, but your power, your strength to live. And so I pray that even now you would grant grace to us as we read it, as we think it through. Um, This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, if you will, to Ephesians in chapter 3. I want to read verses 14 through 21. Ephesians in chapter 3, please. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thank you. Now I want, if God will help me, just to to take up the last two verses in this section, um, verses 20 and 21. We have been here in these other verses before. We'll review them, but I want to take up verses 20 and 21 this morning in, in the context of this prayer that the apostle prays. Um, familiar verses to us now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power and work within us to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, 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 I trust this is familiar to you. I, I hope of all the verses you have in your mind, in your heart, that this is one of them, two of them, that this is a passage that you know. Um, I trust you know it as well. We use it as a benediction. That's a bit of a misnomer in the sense that it's really a doxology, not a benediction. A doxology is a praise to God. A benediction is a blessing to us. Now, we we kind of um, commandeer it a bit uh, to use as a benediction because it speaks to us of his power that is at work in us uh, and to him be glory in the church in us um, and in Christ Jesus. So we, we use it as a benediction as well, rightly so. It is a blessing to God, but but hearing that, knowing that God is at work in us as a takeaway, as we leave worship to go into the world, it's a blessing to us so we can use it, and we do in that fashion as well. But it's a praise to God, and, and, and it's, it's a praise at the end of this prayer, but it's really a praise, too, at the end of this whole section of this letter. Paul begins with a doxology. 
And he ends this section with a doxology. If you'll flip a page and go back to chapter 1, he begins with this praise to God. He said, blessed be, that's praise be in some translations, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in him in the heavenly places. And so he begins with this praise to God. He says, God has blessed us in Christ. And how has he done that? Well, he's blessed us in Christ because in Christ we're holy and blameless in his sight. Praise God for that. How else could that be? Other than God has done something through Christ in us that we would be declared holy and blameless in his sight. He's adopted us into his family, you see. He's redeemed us. He's paid a price in order to buy our freedom, our freedom from sin and death, our freedom from the Guilt of sin, its power, and ultimately its presence. So what a blessing is he begins with this praise to God who could do this other than God to redeem us and to bring forgiveness of our sins, uh, to seal us with his Holy Spirit. And then he, he moves on even uh, from that and he, he says that we've been, we've been raised with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enslaved to the world and to our own sinful natures and to even Satan, and yet Christ has broken that slavery and freed us. His purchase price paid so that uh, we've been raised together with Christ. This new life, we've been saved by grace through faith. And now we find ourselves as God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And, and, and then Paul doesn't even stop there. He says, not only have we been reconciled in Christ to God, but also each other. And he says, even Jew and Gentile, even, even the most that we would think would never be joined together, he's done that through Christ Jesus. And so what a blessing to us. So praise be to God for, for that. And then he ends that section, if you'll note at the end of chapter 2, he speaks to us as this. He says that Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God. He says, listen, this is what's happened now. You are the people of God together in Christ with the dwelling place of God. And they would know what a temple was. They would know what a temple meant. They would know that's where God dwells. They would know that there there would be found in this temple the very presence of God that would be found in this temple provision and protection. Forgiveness of sins. And he says, now, that's who you are. There would be priests to intercede. That's who you are. The people of God. You see. Growing together into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're being built together as a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Now, at that moment, remember we talked about this, at that moment, Paul, Paul thinks, I need to pray. <laughs> uh, because Paul, as uh, his practice, especially in this letter, he gives them truth and then he prays that they get it. And so he says, this is an amazing thing, that you're the temple of the Lord, you're the dwelling place of God. And so he, he says, for this reason, and he wants to pray, but he, he has a bit of a digression of parenthesis, and, and he talks about his own ministry some, and he also says about the church that we're the... With the manifold wisdom of God, with the display of the manifold wisdom of God uh, to rulers and powers, that is to everything that's watching in heaven and on earth. And, and he says, he says, this to you are, you're the wisdom of God, you're the 
demonstration of the wisdom of God. And then, then finally gets on his knees and he begins to pray. And he prays that we actually get this, that we would, we would understand this, we would know this. I, I, as you know, I read dead people, old dead people. And, uh, you know, dead people have been dead a long time. There you go. And, uh, and one of the expressions that you come across, especially in our tradition, uh, is this sense, they say, in, in, in previous generations, that Christianity is an experimental religion. That's a bit striking, because when we think of an experiment, we think of tests, and we think we're trying to prove something, this or that, to be true. This, we have an experiment with, we don't know if it's true yet, so we're just experimenting with it. They don't mean that at all. All right? They don't mean that at all. It doesn't mean we'll try this and see if it works. No, the sense is we believe it's true, it's proven, because it's of God. And we see even evidence of that in the person of Jesus and his resurrection. In all kinds of ways we see how it's true. But they don't mean to make an experiment with this. Really what they mean when they say it's experimental is they mean that we're to experience it. We're to experience it. Yes, it is true. And yes, we assert that it's true, we believe that it's true. We know that it's true. But they said, but do you really know it? How do you really know it? Well, we know it because it's been revealed to us. We have it in the scripture. We know it because it's, we, it's been uh, taught to us and we see it in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we know it's true in that sense. And, and that's all good and that's all necessary. And we need to know that. We need to understand who God is and we need to know who we are in him and all of that. And we should be able to take multiple choice tests and pass them. And, and we should be able to spout it out and we should be able to declare it and all that. All that is true. But he says, but do you know that? In other words, has it worked in you? Have you experienced it? You see? And so when Paul lays out the truth... When he prays, he prays that we get it, that we experience it. So at the end of the wonderful doxology in chapter 1, where he says, this is what's true of you in Christ. He says, oh, I pray that God would open the eyes of your heart. That he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you would really know the hope to which you've been called. I mean, that you know that. You've experienced the work of Christ in you in such a way that you know this hope. It's your hope. You know hope apart from this. That you would know the riches of the glorious inheritance that is ours. You wouldn't have just read about it, but you'd know it, you see. And yet you know the power that's towards all who believe, that you wouldn't have just read about it and, and ascend to it. I know there's power. But you go, I know there's power. I know it because I've experienced the power of God. I know it, you see. And so he's doing the same thing here in this prayer as we talked last Sunday. But just it's just so profound that I, I can't help think about it again. And he says that, that, that all of this is true that you really are the dwelling place of God. Now, I want you to know that. 
I want you to experience the dwelling of Christ in you and among you. I want you to really know, to experience what it is to be this temple, this dwelling place of God. And so he prays. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. And so as we said last week, he's, he's praying that, that they be strengthened and be strengthened in their inner being. All right? Now, Paul could simply uh, pray about circumstances and change their circumstances. God, make their circumstances better in some way. Paul himself is in prison. We wouldn't think poorly of him if he added to this prayer. And by the way, I'd like to get out of prison. Can you make that happen? Right? He's made it happen before in different senses. So, but he's not praying about circumstances. Paul can say, you know, I've been beaten a bit. I'm sore. I'm tired. I'm, I've got infections in my body because of the, the, the beatings that I've had. Could you please take care of that? He doesn't pray that. He could pray that. But he says, this is really what's, what's important here. What's, what's really only you can do, God, is to, to, to change us inside in our inner being. So strengthen us. Strengthen us two things. One, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And as we said, we know that as believers in Jesus, Christ does dwell in us. But Paul is saying, I want you to know that. He does dwell. That's a fact. That's true objectively. Now, subjectively, I want you to know that. I want you to, to know that he's dwelling in you. And we said, too, please remember that this word dwell, as you read this later, this word dwell circle, is this word dwell means to, to dwell permanently. That means to, to make his home there. And so he says, I want you to experience the dwelling of Jesus in you. And by that, I mean, I want you to, to, to experience his his remodeling of your life, right? That there are days that you know as well as I know that we would refer to as demo days, right? He's demolishing stuff in us, right? He's, he's taking out our pride. And he's ripping it off the walls sometimes it feels, right? Throwing it to the curb. And he's putting in humility. He's taking out our bitterness and he's putting in forgiveness. He's taking out our fears and he's putting in peace. He's taking out our anger and he's putting in patience. See, So he says, it isn't just reading about it. And we know this, of course. It's, it's about living it. It's about knowing it. Because it's about through his spirit, Christ dwelling in you. Therefore, through his spirit, Christ having dealings with you. And the same thing in the context of our church life, of course. That that's what's happening among us. That he's dwelling here. Which means he's joining us together. And even along the rough edges. And so some of those edges need to be polished to really fit better together. And so he's doing that, you see. And he's working in us and 
transforming us and changing us to be the place where he dwells, not simply here, but in all his church. Right? So that's, we have to be strengthened for that. So that's what he's praying. I want you to really know this, you see, to, to be strengthened like this uh, on the inside, this, this, this inner being. That we'd know it and that we would know his love. He says, I want you to be strengthened. He says, rooted and grounded in love. You're already there. You're already rooted and grounded in my love. If you belong to me, you, you, uh, God has shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, his love. We know that. So you're rooted and grounded in love. And he said, so now I want you to be strengthened so that you can comprehend all of you together. Uh, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. I want you to know my love. I want you to know that you're really loved, you see. I want you to know it deeply. And, of course, as we said last Sunday, we know it by way of the cross, you see. We think and we meditate upon the cross. And we know the great breath of his love. Um, we know it includes people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation, you see. It's, it's that broad through all generations. We know the length of it, Right? goes to great lengths to save us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. That's the length. How far will he go? He'll go so far as to give himself, right? And so he knows no length, you see. And the height of it, he takes us all the way to glory. And the depth of it, he humbles himself, empties himself, makes himself nothing. Being found in human form becomes obedient even to the point of death. As this servant. So, so the depth of it. You see, he says, I want, you to, I want you to know that. I want you to live in that. And over and over and over through the course of life. To experience that. So Paul saying, please, Holy Spirit, work in this people. So they would know it, you see. They would know it. By way of the experience of their lives. And then, the end result of all of this, Paul says, is, is it's this. that they, I want them to be filled to all the fullness of God. Now, to be honest with you, probably like you, I've read that phrase a lot, hundreds of times, and every time I do, I just go, what does that mean? To be filled with the fullness of God. It doesn't mean, as the serpent meant to Adam and Eve, you can be like God in the sense that you can replace him and you can be him. It doesn't mean that at all. We're still humans. God is still God. There's a difference between us. It's significant. He's God. We're not. And so we get that. So he didn't say you're going to be God, but he does say you're going to be filled with me. Right? You're going to be filled with me. And he says you're going to be conformed to my image. You were made in my image. That was broken by sin. And now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm making that new. And so, so, so the end result of this is that individually and corporately as his people, we're going to be restored. The very image of God in us that people should look at us individually and especially corporately and have this sense of God about us that they'll see God. Remember what Jesus said, uh, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, that's, that's what it's to be like individually, corporately. And, and so Paul's praying, oh God, please, by your spirit, work in them in such a way that you're seen in them and through them. And, and the people would know you because they know them because... As people would come to the temple, they would enter into the presence of God. When people come into, into your church, that, that they, would, they, would, they, would, they would come into the very presence of, of God because the fullness of God would be in them. Uh, uh, 
they would reflect you in such a way as your love and your forgiveness and all of that. And so, so that's what, that's what Paul's praying. And, 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 and you, you get to the end of that. And, and what do you do? You see. Well, it might be that you think that'll never happen. <laughs> it's one of those lofty prayers, you know, that preachers pray and nobody listens to and, you know, all of that sort of thing. You know, I, you know I, I, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm not, how can that ever happen? Well, you know, Paul doesn't have any doubts at all. That's, what's, that's why it's great to pick this doxology up after that prayer. Because I would expect to pray, Paul to pray something like, well, you know, Lord, um, thanks for your promises. I appreciate that. You know, they're great promises. Thanks for them. But he doesn't do that. And even stops praying in some way that God would help us or strengthen us. He just gives him praise. And and you get the sense that Paul is saying, he really is able to do this. That's why I prayed it. I mean, notice he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. There's no pause in him at all. He doesn't, he doesn't wonder at all whether this can happen. He's so confident that it can happen that he, he, he praises God for his ability. And because sure it can happen. I remember as a kid listening to old people pray. And, and they would often you know, pray something. And they would say something like, God, I want to thank you in advance. And I don't know, as a kid, it just didn't register with me. You know? It registers. These people were so confident in God that once they prayed it, knowing it's in his will, they, they thanked him for it. They thanked him for it. Now, whether they were prayers were on target or not on target, I don't know. But I do know that they, as the apostle, had this great sense that, no, this will have, God will do this. I don't doubt it at all. And I wonder, as he broke into this doxology, if he didn't have it in his mind, I, I think there's some people in Ephesus who are going to get this letter that probably don't buy in. <laughs> they probably don't think. So I'm just going to rush right in. I'm just going to launch right in to this doxology and give praise to God uh, because he is, in fact, he is, in fact, able uh, to do this. And we know, on the one hand, that he's able to do that because he's the creator of all things, a, a, a refrain in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Yet it's even on the lips of Jesus' mom. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult. He's God. Nothing is too difficult for him at all. And so the apostle knows that, so he begins to pray now to him who is able to do. And then Paul begins to invent words because he, he doesn't even know how to describe the power of God. He doesn't even know how to describe the ability of God. And so, so you can see, he doesn't simply say that he's, now to him who is able to do abundantly. See, that would be sufficient, you know, in English, that's abundantly, just abundantly, that's good enough. But then he says, well, that's not enough, so more abundantly. Well, how much more abundant is more abundantly? He says, but you know, that doesn't do it either. It's far more abundantly. You get the sense that if he had more, more whatever he was writing on, he would have just kept adding things to that. He could have spent all day just adding to that expression. And we see it in the versions that we read in the King James. It's exceeding abundantly. 
in the New American Standard, it's exceedingly abundantly beyond, right? And so how do we even describe this? He says, there isn't any stopping this at all. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And at this point, if we really get what Paul is asking, we're going to say, how could you ask more than that? How could you ask that any human being could be any more than filled to the fullness of God? I mean, I mean, that's it. I mean, doesn't that exhaust it? And he said, well, it's more than just be surprised at what I'm actually thinking that I haven't even asked yet. Far more abundantly than all I could ever ask or think, you see. If there could ever come into my imagination that God could do. Yes, of course, he's... He's able to do all of that. He really is. You know, this wonderful passage. Again, I hope that you have close uh, to your heart in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. It's a, a quote out of, out of the Old Testament. Verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you remember you sang just in our opening hymn this wonderful expression? Hast thou not seen how all thy longings have been granted in what he ordaineth? And then finally, in the next verse, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying, God, if you come to us, you can fill us to all the fullness of God. You can do that. So he prays that God would do that. And then he says, oh, by the way, and now to him who is able to do way more than I can even say. So at least he can do what I've asked. He can do more than that, but that's the best I can do. So, 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 so he can do far more abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, beyond... In addition to, more than you can ever imagine, greater than that, he can do this. No hesitation in the apostle uh, at all. Ask, you see. Is this what we're asking? That's my question. Is this what I'm asking of me, of us, that God will do that? I read Psalm 81 this morning because... It's one of those passages that that has always struck me. Many of you know that, again, one of the verses I live off of just personally is uh, Psalm 8110. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. See, that's what Paul, that's what God is saying uh, to these ancient Israelites. He rehearses before that. He said, remember what I did. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I heard that there was a language among you that, that wasn't your language, that I didn't know, God says. I didn't know that language. It wasn't your language. It was not the language of my people. So my people, and any time in the Old Testament, when you, hear the, when you read the expression that there was a language among Israelites that God didn't know or they didn't know, you know the enemy is there. Right? So that's how and so God ex, it's expressed there poetically in the psalm. That there was a language I didn't know. So what did I do? I came and I rescued you. You see. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Please ask me. Please ask me to help you. Please ask me to strengthen you. Please ask me to do what I've promised. Please ask me. Don't close your mouth. 
Open your mouth. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Well, the sad thing is, of course, is the Israelites didn't ask him. Why not? Well, because they didn't know their need even. They didn't even desire what God had for them. They, they, they thought, well, we can do this ourselves. We're strong enough in ourselves. We can do this. We can trust in our horses and chariots. Or, or we can make alliances, these unholy, unwise alliances with these other nations. And even though they're not godly, we, we can trust them. They'll help us. They'll protect us. God says, no, 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 no. I promise to do this. Please open your mouth. Just ask me. Ask me to deliver you. Ask me to help you. Ask me to be with you. Ask me to strengthen you. Ask me to dwell among you. Please ask me. Sometimes I wonder if we're afraid to ask this. Or maybe we don't know our need. Maybe we think all is well with our souls and they're not. Maybe we think we've progressed far enough. You know, I'm better than most. Maybe we're afraid that if it really happens... Men will have to sacrifice too much. Maybe we'll lose too much. You know, the rich young man that came to Jesus, he, he had all this stuff. And he was quite self-righteous, quite self-dependent. Had it really amassed a fortune for himself. And, and even he, he looked like a re- really moral guy in any outward look of it. But Jesus saw into his heart. And, and when he saw what Jesus could make of him, uh, it could only take place if he stopped trusting in himself and all this stuff. And he wasn't really willing to leave it. And so I wonder... If we're kind of afraid, well, you know, if this really happens in my life, what do other people think? What do I have to sacrifice? What do I have to give up? And Paul would say in his own testimony, listen, I gave up everything, and now I know Christ way better. Way better. And so, this is that. You know, the New Testament parallel to Psalm 81.10, at least, I think, is Romans 8.32. In Romans 8.32, the apostle writes to us and he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Well, in Psalm 81.10, the preamble is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, God is saying, look what I've done. How could you not trust me? How could you not think I have your best interest in mind? How could you not think I'm for you, you see? Why wouldn't you trust me? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, in Psalm, I'm sorry, in Romans 8, 32, it begins with the expression, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In other words, it's the same thing. He's saying, I delivered you. I knew your enemy. I came and I defeated your enemy for you. How could you not trust me? How could you not think I'm not for you? I gave up my son for you. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. How will, he not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The apostle says, I'm asking. You should ask. Don't be afraid to ask. He's able to do far more abundantly than all you could ever ask or think. So please, he says, he says, ask. You might say, well, I've been asking and I'm still a sinner. <laughs> I've been asking and, and I still have these besetting sins. I still have these things I struggle with. I, I've been asking and, and, and still uh, I, I look in our church and, and I can see the sins in our church and I can see it amongst our people. And we're still not the people I think we ought to be. And we're asking and, and we're asking. And, and he says, I, I know and, 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 and I'm able. I will. I'm at work. 
Please keep asking. We don't know how long this is going to take. We don't know the end result. We do know we'll not be perfected until glory. But he says, keep asking. You say, well, I, I do see it, son. I, I see it. He says, keep asking. But he's saying, it isn't because I'm not able. You'll just have to trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know the paces you need to go through. You need to trust me that I'll take you through them. And in the midst of those paces that I'm sanctifying you individually and as a people. And you say, but, but you've called us to take your word and you've called us to evangelize. You've called us to bring the nations to you and still there are unbelievers throughout the world. And you say, I know that. Keep asking. I'm still at work. Trust me. Join the apostle in the doxology and the praise. I'm able. But it isn't just an objective thing that God is able. That's a fact. He is able. But he also realizes, the apostle does, even in the midst of his doxology, he can't get away from the fact that it's also subjective. In other words, that God is able, and we will know that. Notice how he puts it. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. He says, it, it's, it's, it's at work now. And you know this. His power is at work within us even now. Uh, he already stated the fact of that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. When he's praying that we'd have eyes to see, um, he says, I want you to see this. I want you to know this. Uh, the, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and all of that. He's saying that very power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you. And I think Paul would say, how could you doubt that? Look at me. What's, do you have an explanation, Paul would say, for me? Do you have an explanation for the one who hated Christ the most, who hated Christians the most, who blasphemed the name of God, who was out to do everybody who named the name of Christ in, uh, who was, he said, I had deep prejudices, national prejudices, religious prejudices. I was self-righteous, conceited, and all of that. Uh, how did this happen? Paul would say, and he will, it's only because of the power of God at work. It's really at work, you see it. And how did you happen? How did you happen? What overcame your unbelief? I mean, maybe a little less dramatic, Paul would say, than what happened to me. But, 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 it was, but it's no real less miraculous. No less the working of God. What overcame your unbelief? Why are you here? Why are you believing? You see, it's, it's this God that is at work within you. Huh? This sensitivity that you have to sin. From whence did that come? From the power of God at work within you. Why are you drawn to him? It's his power at work within you. Why do you love him? Why do you love these people, even in your, our imperfect ways? Why do we love each other? Why do we have this certain affection for each other? When you find that someone's a Christian, why does that sort of just change everything? Why is it that you look at people and you 
are sad because of their lostness? Why do you look at people who don't know Christ and desire them to know him? Why is it you would risk anything at all to tell another about Jesus? Why is it that the primary prayer we have for our children is that we know him? Why is it that the primary prayer we have for family members who don't know him is that they know him? Why is it that the primary prayer and desire of our hearts for people who don't know Jesus is that they know him? That regardless of what else is true, that's it. at work within you. Paul says, you already know that. You already know that he's at work, you see, within you. And so he says, rejoice in that. Give praise. Paul would write to the church in Philippi and he would lay this out like this in chapter 2 and verse 12, right after what we uh, read about uh, the person of Christ and our profession of faith. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, it's happening. Just look to see it. It's happening. He really is at work within you. It isn't just that he's able. You know that he's able because you see it in the context and you experience it in the context of your own, of your own life. And then finally, just quickly, he says, all right, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. You see, who else could be responsible for this? Who else could receive the glory for this? Who else could do this other than Christ? We don't get the glory for this. He does. And so it, it's only because of Christ. It's only because of the work that he does. So he says, Christ is to be glorified in the church always. He is the one who does this. And it will always be true throughout all generations forever and ever the church will be Christ will be then the question is can we end it like he ends it can we say what he said and he ended it by simply saying amen now when I was a kid I thought amen meant the end Right, because that's what everybody said at the end of their prayers. They say, amen, you go, oh, that's over, we can cough now. Or whatever it is, squirm, whatever it is we need to do. Uh, So the end, but it doesn't mean the end, it means yes. That's true. It means so be it. Can we pray this? Can we pray this? And can we praise God? Who is able. Now let's do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for myself and for all of us gathered here and for your church. That you would, in fact, strengthen us with power in our inner being. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, through trusting you, depending upon you, submitting to you, loving you, that you, Jesus, by your Spirit, would be at work in us. Please, I pray, sanctify us. Please, I pray, work in us that we may love you and love one another. 
And please strengthen us in the very love of Christ. That in the love of Christ we may be rooted and grounded. That we would grow there. Grow knowing that we're loved by him and growing from him. That we too may may love so that we would be filled to all the fullness of God. That we'd be filled to all the fullness of God. Not only in us individually, but corporately as your church. That we would be wonderful and a beautiful and a strong and a fit place for our Lord to dwell. And this I pray in Jesus' name.